Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller, here with my fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy's, how's everything going today? Uh, you know what? Living a dream. Woke up, so it's a good day. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And I know you're ready to go here. So yes. today's topic, and I, during the promo here, I was thinking about this. We're going to go over CPT version 7, what's new, and I'm like, um, I think you and I've been around since CPT one. I was like, Oh wow. Yeah. I was, I think I was around probably, well, obviously I know I was before it was even integrated and implemented into NASM. So I don't know. Do I call that like been around since like the, the dark ages, the, the new times, I don't even know, like version You're zero. OG. OG. Uh, yeah. That just says but, something about my age. <laughs> Or experience, experience, right? Experience. Here's the good news. We got a lot of cool new content, but if we've been teaching this since, you know, when you were teaching before it was even NASM, and I've been teaching since NASM, the fundamentals are still the same. We still have an evidence-based approach with a tiered system based off movement assessments. But as the industry has changed, we've continued the research and we've continued to add new things, whether it's the soft skills or the you know, the anatomy and things like that. So here we are CPT seven, and that's what we're going to go through to let everybody know, you know, depending on when you got your CPT certification, maybe why you may want to, you know, dive back in there, pick up some new content. Yeah. I'm really excited about this new version because I think it really does. I mean, not only, you know, is it updated research, but the terminology, some of that's changed because of what we're learning as we go along. I mean, you guys think about this like 20 years ago, when you know a foam roller was brought into a gym people were looking at us like we had five heads they didn't understand what we were doing and now it seems like they're everywhere people get it they they have a clearer understanding so i mean and that was you know 20 years ago so you know with with what we're learning the more in-depth research that's done on movement you know movement patterns biomechanics as well as you know people really kind of picking apart certain things we always want to provide the most updated research and content. And I think that's really what sets NASM apart and um, allows us to, to remain top in the industry because we actually care about what's out there and then, you know, making sure that we have the most updated, you know, content as possible. Yeah. And I do remember the days of bringing my own foam rollers in and just getting that, uh, that look like, what is this person doing? So we took one for the team to just make some, <laughs> like a standard thing. So for all of you that have only been in the industry since like, what do you mean? Foam rollers weren't in the gym? No, they weren't. And mm -hmm. people thought we were nuts. So yes, uh, welcome. So we yes. took one there for that. So cool. I'm excited. Absolutely. Yeah. So if we, I mean, just kind of talk about what we're going to go over. I mean, basically when you look at the, the intro, we really wanted to kind of pick it apart a little bit for you guys. So if you didn't have the updated version, you kind of now can understand what the new, text says in comparison to anything one through six that you may have at your home and you know the reason that we wanted to update the information like i said not only is it up to date with the research however we wanted to make sure too you know that we are streamlined across in industry standards and there are some changes especially with the terminology as well as some of the acute variables and that was because of the board of certification requirements. And so we always too have to pair up because we are an accredited certification to make sure that we meet certain standards um, that they have to have for the testing process. So some of this was not just NASM decided to change it for the sake of changing it. We are changing it for a purpose. And so that's why we wanted to spend this 
this time with you today to make sure that you guys uh, can either, you know, ask us questions or like I said, once we go through certain things, maybe it'll be cl like clearer for you to understand why we did what we did. Yeah. And, you know, I really appreciate how much, you know, NASM puts into always revamping and, and looking at the products that, that have been the bread and butter of everything we've been doing for so long, because, you know, as I said at the beginning, we know the, the systems work, but there's always those little tweaks and little nuances that come to light. And then also how do, how do the people that are in the industry need this information so they can be the most successful in their career? So I, I love the fact that, you know, NASM is willing to rework the content as needed. So that way it's the most relevant and freshest in the industry. Yeah. And we're going to give you guys kind of a chapter comparison between even our version six versus seven. So therefore you guys can see some of the additions that we made along with some of the newer content that we included. And like I said, some of the terminology and the rationale behind that. And then of course, Marty and I, the last, um, gosh, I guess it was the last two weeks, we spent some time going over the new cardio respiratory assessments as well as stage training. So if you miss those, you definitely want to, you know, take some time and, um, you know, go through some of that because I think it with the difference and we'll get into the slide, but with the differences in some of those changes with how we put someone into a specific stage, it's going to be very more, it's very individualized on someone's personal cardio respiratory health at that time. And then what we can do to enhance it, to make it even better, or, you know, to get people um, just just doing their cardio at a level that they should be at. So therefore they can move up without overtraining or having some injury, you know, or some other kind of health related issues long term because they're just doing something incorrect. Yeah. And I was having a conversation today with actually a physician and he was telling me about all the injuries he was having from trying to be as fit as possible. And because I was speaking to a physician, I was like, OK, let's talk about dosing. Right. Because he understood that from a medical standpoint with the pharmacology that he that he prescribes he's like i get it now you know and here's a guy who is very schooled and educated on the human body but really didn't understand why he was making mistakes with his exercise because he just wanted to progress 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 and when i started talking about the different stages and it was like okay now this makes sense now i have a process to move towards and let my body kind of catch up so that way i can you know exercise progressively but safely and that's what we've always been about with nasm yes and there's a couple questions that have already come in and so coach l fitness um will the changes have an impact on the recertification and the answer to that one marty i'll go ahead and take that one is no um if you have a valid C cpt through nasm i mean you definitely have to still go through the recertification process and remember in order to remain current you have to have at least 2.0 or 20 hours of continuing education units every two years, along with a, a valid CPR with AED um, when you're going through this, the recertification process. You don't have to sit for a new exam or anything like that. However, if you have gone through NASM in the past, we wanted to do this so therefore you were, you had a better understanding of some of the newer content. So therefore, if somebody starts talking about stage training and you're thinking old school 220 minus age times 0.65 to get 65% of that person's, you know, where they should be when they're doing their heart rate, that's no longer correct. And the reason it's not correct is based upon research and what we're finding that that was just very, it's way too generalized. Um, and so we wanted something more specific and that's why we made those changes. So recertification is still recertification. 
However, if you have the new CPT-7 textbook, you want to make sure that you study that particular textbook. So when you sit down for the exam, you have a clearer understanding of, of what the questions are asking and that you get those answers correct. Um, there's another one. I'll give it to you, Marty, but can you buy updated material? Yeah. I mean, obviously the answer is yes to that. If you go on the NASM website, you will be able to find the new course and, or maybe just the textbook. That might be something that, uh, you know, I love, I still love a physical copy. I know you do Wendy as well. Uh, it's nice to have the digital, but of course, you know, it's something that uh, you can absolutely add to your library and that way you have it as a reference. So when we are now doing any of the, this content, whether it's on any of our podcasts, whether it's my coffee talk, whether it's this here on the Thursdays, we will be referencing some of the new content as the topics move towards that. So it'll be good for everyone to kind of catch up without a doubt. So that way, you know, people are like, wait a minute, did they change something? It's like, <laughs> Am I in the right place? But uh, there's not drastic changes, but you will catch and notice some for sure. Yes. And if you guys want to see, this is a comparison. If we go to the next slide, you guys can see the comparison between our CPT six book as well as our CPT seven. And I think this is important because guys, the new textbook is like 900 pages long. And I know this is a very small chart. It's hard to see, but as you can see, instead of just, you know, blaring and throwing a bunch of anatomy at you, you know, we're starting to look at more of scope of practice, you know, soft skills, what it takes to be a trainer. Um, because we understand that there are so many people that are changing um, careers and their career paths. And sometimes, you know, everyone loves to be in fitness and, you know, they're, they're fitness enthusiasts and they think that being a trainer is easy and it's not. I mean, you need to know the behavioral changes of what you're going to have to deal with, with clients that are, you know, not easy to work with or people that have really low self-esteem or people that get frustrated easy. And so the new textbook I love because it kind of opens with that content first. And then we start diving into the, the, you know, down and dirty, what the muscles do, how they impact your workouts. And then we get into, you know, the model itself, along with the assessments. And then, you know, we get into more of program design, utilizing different types of systems, thinking about different types of populations. And then at that point, you know, um, you know, we, we still even talk about nutrition and our nutrition chapter just in our CPT seven textbook is 60 pages long. And so it's the longest you know, chapter that we have in that book. However, you know, if you don't take your CNC, this just goes into a deeper dive of the macronutrient macronutrients, excuse me, and stuff that you would need to be able to understand and how your body's going to react to different things. And so um, so, you know, like I said, there's a lot of really good information here. But as you can see, I um, kind of wanted to give you a comparison. So when you look at the two, um, there are some additions and all of the chapters have been updated. And the wonderful thing too about us and what NASM does is they reach out to people that are not NASM employees and they try to find the subject matter experts that are top of, of their game in specific fields and have them contribute to the content. So therefore, again, it is updated research and we have those individuals taking part in the chapters. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting, you know, one of my boys is going through it and it's interesting to see him at 20. I'm glad now that he has this new text because when at his age, I'd already gone to school for some of the science. So I don't think I'd have been as intimidated by the anatomy, but to see and hear him talk about it, you can see the excitement going because he's learning more about the industry than just getting right into it with the science. So it's, it's, it's cool to see. And I, I can 
completely appreciate why that change was made. And just something simple like that just makes the course more enjoyable for a lot of the people that will be starting out either early in their career or as a career change for sure. And as we go through some of these, we're going to just highlight some of the main points that you're going to be um, noticing when you're doing more of the program design. However, remember every one of these chapters that are listed, it is updated and there is some some newer content um, within each chapter itself. But I didn't think us spending, you know, probably two or three hours going over 20, 20 different chapters is something you guys would be interested in. So we're just highlighting some of the major, major components first. Um, and that kind of brings us just to the template itself. And Marty, do you want to take this or you want me to do it? Well, I can start. We'll go back and forth because we both sure. you know, have our ways of explaining it. But it, it looks very similar, right? There's not drastic changes. We are designing a program here for any phase as it could be here, total body workout, or again, this could be the splits. But, you know, just a very nice, clean, easy template to work off of. You'll still see we have it categorized in sections and then we still have our sets, reps, tempos, and rest. So we're going to cover some of those changes within each one of those, but you'll still see goal and phase is there at the very beginning. Cause again, that is so important to what we do at NASM. It's an individualized approach or maybe a small group, but we don't want to just exercise people. We want to make sure that they're in the right phase of training. And then we get into the flow. So Wendy, I'll start with the warm up, and then you know we can jump in and kind of go back and forth. So, yes, we're still going to start with the warm up, and we are going to start with myofascial work. So you're going to notice right off the bat one of the things that's changed is, and it took me a little while. We used to just say SMR, self myofascial rolling, and your self myofascial release. People would use that R differently. And what the science shows is, we know it works. We know it's beneficial. We know it down regulates overactive tissue, but because we don't know the exact, the term now is self myofascial techniques. So you're going to see that R go to a T and I know that's going to throw some people off, but now we just start out with self myofascial techniques for every phase of training, if appropriate for your clientele. So Wendy, if you, anything you want to add yeah. in there? Well, I mean, if we even go to the next slide, we kind of broke it up even in some more bullet points for you guys. So if we look at you know, that like Marty just said, with the warm up and the flexibility side, I mean, that's, you know, this is a terminology change. And as Marty said, you know, we don't really know what self, what it was releasing. And unless we, you know, started working on people that were alive and trying to do cadaver work, um, you know, it was really hard to tell because there are different receptors doing different things. It's still, you know, um, deregulating the tissue. There is still a change and it is a change for the better to increase range of motion. And so therefore that, you know, we know it's a technique. We know that it is helping um, downregulate in order to get more pliability, you know, blood flow. And um, we are getting changes within the tissue that we're spending time on. However, um, you know, you're still going to hold it 20 to 30 seconds. We're still going to, you know, kind of marinate on that area. And if you guys, you know, and we'll talk about this when we do the same type of thing for the CES, I mean, you know, you can do a pin and stretch and everything, but what we're just trying to do is still focus on the muscles that are overactive. So we are still doing the exact same thing we've done in the past, but that technology or the terminology change, it was for that specific reason. Um, we don't know what it's releasing. Nobody knows what it's releasing. And if they claim they do, I want to know how they found that out. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, we added dynamic stretching. And so dynamic stretching, because people were already doing it, and it makes sense. And remember what the definition of dynamic stretching is. It's basically we're trying to do a functional movement pattern, such as a lunge or a lunge with rotation, 
but you need to do it through the full available range of motion. So mm -hmm. even in phase one, after you go through and you get some more sensibility through self myofascial technique and static stretching, then you can go in and add some dynamic stretching, which has shown a lot of positive research that if you're going to do something on a higher level or you're going to play a game, we've always talked about doing the continuum. Marty and I have always talked about that before you're going to play a game. Think about stretching what needs to be stretched, doing some active and then going into dynamic. Um, so we've just added the ability. It's still optional, but you can quote technically if you're following, you know, if you're following the recipe book, you're still technically um, now can add dynamic into all five phases. Yeah, and the key thing is dynamic, even though the word to a lot of personal trainers means explosive, it's as fast as you can control. So dynamic is on such a continuum, whether you're dealing with a 17-year-old or an 87-year-old, right? So it's just what is dynamic to them. So there's, there's a lot of variety there, and there's a lot of options that give you the ability to now feel comfortable, where I think even though, Wendy, you, you had said it, we had used it, but since it wasn't in the book, maybe some people at the beginning of their career didn't feel comfortable. Now we're just going to talk about it and encourage people to go from that static or that static active into what dynamic is for that person. And it could, you know, it could be simply just sitting in a chair and doing, you know, transverse plane reaches for somebody that is dynamic for them. So let's not think that it has to be something ballistic. <laughs> Right. Dynamic is just multi-joint movements in multiple planes at a speed they can control. Right. And another thing that I didn't actually or Marty, Marty and I didn't add to the slide that it is so important when you're when we're talking about terminology is in, you know, phases, you know, two, three and four, we do active isolated. And well, active isolated, they just remove the word isolated because it's just call it what it is. It's active stretching. It's still going through, you know, looking at, you know, the ability for one muscle to contract the antagonist has to relax. So we're still going through playing this. It, it still serves the same purpose. It's still the same definition, but you are no longer going to see it called active isolated. And it's just now flat out, just active stretching. Yep. yep. Awesome. There you go. And so I, like um, I know, right. Um, so, you know, activation, if you look at the template, it is now like a header of that template. OK, and, you know, and we're calling it again what it is. We are activating those muscles that have shown to be underactive in your assessment. So we're still, you know, talking more about a systematic progression to someone. So we're going to focus on training the local muscles that protect the spine. So your multifidi, you know, the, the little muscles that go vertebrae to vertebrae. So when we're talking about intervertebral stability, still the same thing in phase one. And then when we get to strength, we're going to go into more of the global movements. So still things that are going to flex and extend and rotate the spine. And then obviously when you get to power, it's going to be more of that type of movement with a power component. So, you know, when we're thinking about core, again, it, it's just the placement. Like I said, the, the, the actual template itself has changed. And you're going to notice now, and this is going to be throughout the entire textbook, we don't say this is a core stabilization exercise. We no longer say that. We say that we're going to start with the muscles training truly for um, stabilization all the way up to, to power. But we're trying not to actually put a naming convention, even though the principles are still there. And if you're going to sit for the certification in CPT-7, it's going to say which is more appropriate a, for phase one. Would it be something like a plank, a crunch, or a crunch with rotation? 
um, or, you know, crunch with a throw and you're going to choose plank because again, we're still, you know, focusing on those local stabilizers. So um, just know that they've taken off kind of like siloing exercises because that's not really fair. However, when you're designing your programming, you still want to think what is the most regressed all the way to progressed and which would make sense for that specific phase of training. Yep. And I think this gives people some flexibility and freedom to not feel like there's only three exercises for core stabilization. And again, we want to teach concepts. We don't want to just give exercises. We want people to understand the concept of what core stabilization is, what a core strength exercise or philosophy is. And then from there, you know how to go through and pick the right exercises. So that way you actually uh, have more of a diverse understanding of it. And you're not just kind of mirroring a couple of exercises that fit into that as an example. We want you to really truly understand those concepts. Sure. You want to talk about balance? I mean, it's kind Absolutely. of the same. <laughs> so, yeah, very similar to what Wendy's saying. We're not going to call it balance, stabilization, balance, strength, or balance power. But clearly, when we're focusing on what we would want to do in that early phase of training, is we're looking to little to no movement of the stance leg, right? Because we want can that person own that position for prolonged periods of time? Maybe their arms are moving, maybe they're doing something else with another implement, but can they? hold that position without movement of the stance leg. Then when we move up into the different levels, now for a strength, can they move on one leg and can they do it under load? So it could be a single leg squat, single leg Romanian deadlift, some of those type of exercises. Then for your power is can you hop and land and stick that landing and own that position before you change direction again? So same concepts we've taught, just again, a little bit different with the terminology. Yes. And then if we look at, you know, go down the template, then we're going to see now that it's going to say, you know, skill development. And so skill development is truly what it is. And so this is where we would put the plyometric training. So we're not changing anything. So keep in mind, it's just now we've got different headers. So it's got, you know, your plyometric training again, you know, same concepts, it's updated information, but we're still focusing in phase one on the landing and then repetitive movement towards strength and then more of an explosive movement pattern. So, you know, we're still keeping in mind what our clients need and the safety of our clients, whether that should be included in their programming or not. Um, but, you know, this the information that you're going to see under plyometric, we also start really focusing on the non-athletic populations because, unfortunately, as we know, we're seeing the sedentary um, numbers rising, especially with COVID. And so we wanted to make sure that you guys kind of thought about some of the um you know, things that they're going to have to go through and ways that you can help on the programming side to best, you know, fit their needs. Yeah. Um, and then again, speed agility and, and quickness training. So when we're talking about that, I mean, it's, it's nothing's changed there, still optional, still up to you. But one of the cool things that I love is that they have it under skill development. They have also included an area where you can really focus more on the fundamental movement patterns. And as you guys know, I mean, there's basic seven, you know, movement patterns that we've talked about before in different webinars, but, you know, it's going to be your squats, your lifts, your pushing, your pulling, your gates, rotational movements. And, and we're really showing people here, especially in phase one, the breakdown of how to do something correctly to move with quality movement patterns before we start loading them up in the resistance section. 
So if you're going to even be in phase three and you know it's a heavy deadlift day, then maybe you'll do some lighter hinge pattern movements or maybe you'll go over some, you know, teaching and instructions before you get them into the resistance portion. And we just found like this would be a really good place to do that. Um, however, you know, again, your programming is going to be, you know, up to you and what's in the best interest of your clients. But um, in that section, that's why we have it under skill development, because you're teaching people how to move faster or correctly. Yeah, I mean, only to basically reiterate everything you just said is <laughs> I'm thrilled with the term skill development, because I'm hoping that the people that go through this course in the future or now some of us that are you know seeing this as a different term is we really appreciate what this is supposed to be. Right. I, I was in the gym this morning. Of course, I saw a ton of people doing a lot of these movement patternings or these jumps. And I'm like, they don't have the skill to do those. They haven't been taught properly in a progressive manner. They don't understand the sequencing. They don't they're just jumping and they're just lifting and they're doing things. And, yeah, they're burning calories, but they don't understand that this stuff is not just OK. Sit on a bicep curl machine and you can kind of go through it without having to be good at it. Right. So I'm really hoping that this translates over to the coaching ability of all the people that are coming through this course to really understand how to make sure that this is done the right way. Because once you accomplish this with your client to the best of their ability, the whole their ability for fitness really opens up more so. But this is such an important part. I love how we transition into it, get the body ready. And then we spend the time teaching these skills. And then from there, I really see that um, almost everybody's fitness level can go to whatever level that they're capable of if they own this spot right here. Absolutely. So that's my so two cents. I like it. As we as we progress on and, you know, again, we're going down down the template. So as we showed in before I get the question, can we download the template? Yes. Go to NASM.org. All the templates and everything are there. Um, but when, you know, when you get to the resistance portion, the resistance portion is the exact same thing. It's just the areas where you're going to break up the body parts. You're going to write some stuff um, in there that's going to be phase appropriate and based on what you know, and then as well as how your client's moving. So that part did not change, but a big one is what we're actually calling phase three. So phase three in the past has been called hypertrophy, you know, phase. So phase three hypertrophy training. What we have changed it to is muscular development with those of you guys like Marty and I that have been around since the dinosaur ages. Um, we've always called it muscular development and it was actually published as muscular development for many, many years in, in the NASM um, methodology in our practice. And the thing is, is because we're teaching muscular development and hypertrophy, people automatically assume that the goal base was like, you know, bodybuilding and everything. And as you guys know, in order to be big, if you want to be the house, you have to eat the house. I've said that multiple times. So in order to have muscle gain, it depends on what you're you know, fueling your body with in the calorie intake. However, here you are going to gain muscular development. You are going to be lifting um, you know, anywhere from eight to 12 reps. It's gonna be a single lift, multi-joint, whatever it is that you wanna do on your programming. So the actual acute variables themselves or the adaptation is still the same. It's just the thing is, is it makes makes it it makes more sense to call it muscular development because it doesn't mean, you know, the goal is still hypertrophy, but hypertrophy to to an extent of getting um, muscular gains as well. Does that make sense? I don't know how else to. 
It makes sense to me, but you know. <laughs> uh, anywho, um, so if we go to the next slide. This is where it gets interesting. Very interesting. So I can start off with this if you want. Sure. Okay, so you're going to see the acute variables. Anyone that's been certified since the beginning, we had a three count tempo. We would do EIC, eccentric, isometric, concentric. And we always said you would have to figure out what part of the exercise, depending if you where your starting position is, is the eccentric, isometric, concentric, and you would place the isometric where you felt the most appropriate. However, going back to the BOC, looking at things differently now, there is technically a four count that we just never accounted for in the past because most exercises, you can put an isometric in two different positions. So using the push-up, for example, you can, if this was a stabilization exercise and I start in the high type of position, I would come down for four seconds. Then I would hold an isometric for two. I would come up into the concentric and now they're like, okay, do you hold there? Do you not hold there? Well, the zero shows that you go right back into your eccentric for four seconds. Now, technically, some people more at the beginning part of their fitness, you may choose to do the isometric at the top of the push-up. So we just had to account for that fourth part of the muscle contraction spectrum when people are transitioning from concentric to eccentric or isometric, depending on how the exercise goes. So that's where you'll now see this fourth part of the tempo. So it really doesn't change what we're trying to accomplish. It just adds another level of clarity. So hopefully I was clear as I explained that. Yes. And so as Marty just said, it would be E-I-C-I. So if you're going to test, that's how it's written. And that's the reason why, as Marty just said. And then of course, I've already talked about the name change, but as you guys can see, we went from hypertrophy to muscular development. And then again, we mentioned this in, when we were talking about core, but all the exercises itself, you want to think about this, you know, systematic to progressive. And so we're still thinking in phase one that we want it to be unstable. We want it to be controlled. Um, you know, so we're still using the same, you know, thought patterns and process in the program design section. However, you're going to have to make the determination of what fits best and what is the in the best interest of your clients on how you're going to actually write out your programs. But just know that it's not going to be labeled because a push-up, as we know, can be used in all five phases. And so we've never termed a push-up as this is a stabilization, this is a strength, or this is a power. Remember, what makes something specific is the acute variables and how it's performed. And so that did not change. And so just understand that when we're talking about, we're not putting a naming convention on it, it still is hopefully going to, when you're in each phase of training, you're still gonna apply those acute variables, which are gonna build those specific adaptations per phase. So as Marty said, we didn't change the model. It's just, we had to update it. And more of this, the acute variables is industry standards that were changed by the board of certification. And so it wasn't the NASM trying to confuse anybody or anything like that. That's just how it's written. And this is going to be industry wide. Um, one other really cool thing is they included a section on safety. And so those of you guys that are brand new to training, those of you who are like, OK, I'm going to just now start working with clients and, 
you know, I've only done things online or now I'm going to go face to face because, you know, COVID's over or whatever. Um, they have actually included a section talking about your environment to make sure that it's safe. And then also, how do you spot? Because I've seen so many trainers um, oftentimes spot incorrectly where it's really not safe for the trainer or their client. And so we have to also think about our best interest and the safety of our client performing it, but also making sure that we're offering the best support and techniques that we can. So there's really good information about queuing and setup and all that. So I was really glad for the inclusion of that in this chapter. Yeah, with without a doubt, because there's just um, and again, depending on the size of the people, you know, could be a, a person that is, you know, smaller in stature training somebody that's, you know, incredibly strong, you know, taking all that into consideration. So both people are safe. And then the other bullet point on this slide is, you know, we never really talked about a true warm up set. We talked about what the work sets would be. So now again, we had some questions on that. So we'll add some information about the warm up set for the phases, complex training. There's different uh, philosophies out there and then the giant sets, et cetera. So just always going through the, the terminology that's out of the industry, talking about it, seeing the science behind it and adding even more value as we get into different types of phases with some of those uh, things that are common within the industry. And we'll talk about each and one, every one of those there. Yes. And then there, when we go to the next slide, you're gonna see, we actually, we have a new little section and you can still put in the resistance part, but this is kind of something that you're gonna notice that's brand new on that template and it's client choice. And this is the new section because what we've learned is clients, they love certain exercises, they do. And the thing is, is it, if they are doing something that they love, there's more engagement within the program, they, they, become, they become a part of the programming too, and it's really good for compliance. So when you're thinking about it on an account accountability standpoint, it's more fun Then we wanted to include it in there. However, one thing to keep in mind is you still want to follow the acute variables. So if somebody, for example, in phase one, sometimes we do buys and tries and we don't add in a special buy and try exercise. And it's mainly because they're doing so many exercises already that may be multi-joint, such as a step up to balance to bicep curl and press but they love to do barbell bicep curls. That's just their thing, they love it. Is it going to hurt them to do that again? No, do you need to count for it on volume and what they're lifting? Yes, How, so if you know that they love that, you're giving them what they, they love, and then you're going to maybe have to change some of your other exercises above, so maybe they're not doing so many curls and choosing something different. However, once you say, okay, now we're gonna do your biceps, we're gonna work on the gun show, they get a smile on their face. They're like, ah, all right, you made me do all this crazy balance crap. Now I want to do what I like. This is what we, we added in there. And again, this is up to you as the trainer to determine that this is in their best interest. Um, and then also, again, the acute variables, because if somebody wants to do a power day, like they want to go in and do like plyometric, um, let's say leg presses where they're bounding or something like that off of a machine and they're in phase one and their feet turn out, their knees cave in, not safe, not ideal. So maybe try to come up with something else that they may enjoy and then work their way up to that one exercise that they love. Yep, absolutely. And again, you know, I would kind of, you know, play the game and trick them. And if they said, 
an arm exercise. I might put them in a glute bridge to do their tricep extensions, right? So I'm always going to control the narrative. But as you said, it's it's they kind of look forward to that at the end where they have a part of it. And if I know what they're going to pick, sometimes I just purposely wouldn't put that in their program, knowing that that's what they're going to add in. So, you know, it's kind of fun that way to give them a little bit of control over the session. And we always talk about trying to have your programs done, you know, ahead of time. And so for me, when I gather that information, I have always asked that question in the subjective portion of the assessment, like, hey, what exercises if they've been in the gym, obviously, what exercises do you love to do? What do you what are the ones that you're passionate about and why? And so I take notes of that because when I feel that it's important then I try to add some of that stuff in there and I've always done that in the past. Now we just have a section for it. Um, you will have some people that are new to the gym. They have no idea and don't put anything in there. And then as they you start working more and more with them, you're going to you're going to hear this. Oh, I love this exercise or oh, that's the worst exercise ever. I hate it. You know, but you're taking mental notes anyway. So it just allows them to be a part of the program. Absolutely. And then and so when we go into the next slide, the cool down. You know, Marty, do you want to take this? Yeah. So, again, we already talked about the warm up about how we've changed it from SMR to SMT. So it's still the same concepts. We are not changing any of the science behind it in the CPT. And then we're still going to do the static stretching for all phases, targeting the muscles that we are, you know, we tend to see that are overactive. So nothing changes there except the R becomes a T. Yes. And so if we move on and, you know, we're, we're now off of the actual template itself that you're designing their actual workout. When we get into the cardiorespiratory assessments itself, you're going to notice that there are some additions in the assessment components of the chapter. And as I mentioned, Marty and I have done a webinar specifically talking about your VT1 and VT2 when it's appropriate, but then also again, how do you get those numbers and how, because it is a specific, you know, you're, it's a specific protocol that you need to, to follow in order to get the ideal VT1 number. And you're talking about your ventilatory threshold. That's what VT stands for. And when they say one, those are more for people that are sedentary up to someone that's not at a high level at this point. We're looking for their steady state where it's going to be an even mix between fats and carbohydrates. And so you're going to see that their numbers are going to kind of um, every 20 seconds you're talking to them. Um, You're looking at a minute, the last 20 seconds, you want them to hold a conversation. And everything is going to be based off of your RPE, so your rate of perceived exertion. And so uh, if you're not familiar with that, you want more in-depth information, listen to our podcast or our webinar, if you will. Um, And then same thing with VT2. These are more high-end athletes, people that have a really good foundation, somebody that can do max type of cardio work for 20 minutes at a higher level, because then you're going to take the last five measurements of their heart rate, the last five minutes, you're going to average those out times in 0.95, get that number. And at that point, that's their VT2. And all of this information is in the textbook. And then, of course, we've removed the one mile run. And now we've added the 1.5 because it's more updated. There's more research on it. And so therefore, obviously, you have to have a client that can run a mile and a half. And that's going to be very it's time based. That's how that one is um, recorded. And as I mentioned earlier, we're no longer doing 220 minus age just because it was too generalized. That was never meant in any in any any part of our industry, never meant to be like the, the standard of how someone should find where they are on a percentage. If um, you know, because age factors 
And, you know, same thing with the Carbonian method, the higher, like the older you are, those, those were, it would have an inverse relationship. It wasn't as accurate. And so this will help us become more accurate in the programming. Yeah. And, and even, you know, I had read some articles and don't quote me, but even the people that the doctors that had created the 220 mile series, they weren't thinking it was going to be the gold standard. It was just kind of something that they were throwing around. And, you know, I always use example, my twins, they're 20 now. And if they're, one's a triathlete and one's a couch potato, just because they're both 20, their heart rate should be the same. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Right. So I'm glad that we have as an industry, it, and I think part of the the delay was we were dealing with heart rate. So there was a lot of fear that what if we pick numbers that are too challenging and too high? So I'm I'm really thrilled that we're getting as an industry more scientific in how we prescribe people their resp cardiorespiratory training. Because it just makes sense that you're going to test where they're at, not just give them a raw number based on an age, regardless of their activity. Perfect. So if we move to the next slide, um, once you have that information, again, Marty and I did another webinar specifically on the stage training. And so just as a recap in the past, we had different percentages and those percentages really did fit within the phases of training too, because as someone became more in shape, we increased it from 70 or 65 to 75. And then we went from, you know, um, all the way up to, to almost 85 to 100% when they got to power. And so these are going to focus mainly on your VT1 and VT2 scores and which will make it more accurate for the client. And so when you're looking at, you know, stages one, two, and three, those are going to be for your fitness enthusiasts, the people that like to work out. And then, you know, when you get to phase four, that's mainly for your elite athletes. And phase five is when you're doing drills out on the, on, you know, on the court or in the, on the field or something like that. So they're more performance-based types of cardio that you're doing on the field and measuring it that way. So completely different. Um, Another thing too that you're going to notice in the cardio stage training chapters is that we no longer just use the fit model. We have added fit VP and the V stands for variation and um, your P is your progression or your progression. And so when we're looking at that, all the other numbers are still the same, which still stands for everything, but it is an updated model based on research because those two components really do make a big difference. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So, so that's why that changed. And then um, before we even get to the key takeaways, I know we had a couple questions in here, but I also wanted to mention um, that in the assessment components, because it just triggered with the assessments, but in this, when you're doing your assessments, you know, we always talked about subjective information as well as objective information. And remember when you're getting the measurements and you're doing the movement analysis and transitional types of assessments, that's gonna be the objective component because that's what you're gonna go back. You're gonna have starting numbers and then you're gonna see how they progress. When you're doing this objective information, another change that we have now is something called the PAR-Q, but it's the PAR-Q plus. And it is no longer just a one page card, you know, um, where they're just checking off yes and no. It's a little more detailed. And that was because, as we've seen, more detail is better, as we know. Um, but that's going to be also something that you're going to notice when your clients first come in. If you're going to our charts and you're going to print out some of the documents that we provide, it'll say the PARQ plus and you're going to notice more information to gather from your client. And that's important to you know, the more information you gather at the beginning more rapport building, the more fully uh, you'll understand that client, at least at that point, and then can design the best program and or at least understand where they're coming from. 
you know, from their philosophies as well as medically for sure. Um, so I'll take this, uh, like this question. And if yep. you guys have other questions while they're going, please feel free to, to type them in now so we can make sure everyone feels comfortable with the content. But Coach L Fitness, he says, does the nutrition portion still focus on meal plans uh, style eating and macro splits, or will it now include portion based eating similar to PN or PN, so nutrition or precision nutrition? Um, so the way that our chapter is, um, you know, is outlined or the way that we have it, again, it's going to go into specific details, but our main ones are, you know, we start out, of course, with scope of practice. We want to make sure that we kind of stay within our scope, that we know what we can and cannot say legally um, unless we hold a license, a specific license, like we're a registered dietitian. Um, we do offer the, the CNC that we have. So our certified nutrition coaching courses that we have goes into way more detail than what this chapter does. So just know that's the differences when we're talking about this nutrition chapter that's 60 pages versus an entire course. But we start out with that. Then we start assessing credible information. So we start talking about that and looking at, of course, our macronutrients. So we're still talking about proteins, carbohydrates, as well as our lipids. Um, after that, we go into even more detail talking about the micro or macronutrients and hydration and the importance it plays on that. So there we're talking about fat soluble vitamins. We're talking about water soluble vitamins, water and performance, as well as sports drinks and when it's appropriate and how we know when you know, somebody needs that, especially depending on the sport athlete or temperature changes. So it's very good information there. Um, there's also a section talking about the factors that influence weight management. So we do a really good job, I think, going into the law of thermodynamics um, as well as sleep, the endocrine system and the disorders along with that, uh, medications, you know, metabolism, as well as the adaptive um, thermogenesis. So if you guys are interested in learning a little bit more, more detail, of course, in that. We talk a lot about the food labels. So the differences between the US food labels versus the UK. And so we talk about how to read those. And lastly, a big part of it is gonna be the goal-based nutrition strategies. So we talk about everything's from fat loss to muscle gain, as well as more sports performance. And so if you're interested in those, it is a little bit different. Again, updated research. We had a lot of people that work specifically in this field, um, be a part of this as a subject matter expert. So that was just that one chapter alone. That's why it's 60 pages, y'all. <laughs> That's a very detailed review. Yes, did you like that? Very detailed answer, you know? It's part of being a regional master instructor, we have to go into detail. So, um, but, uh, you know, um, our key takeaways on this and the reason we wanted to bring it to the forefront is because I know a lot of people have asked us, like, do I need this new textbook? Is it worth it? And the answer to me is yes. Like, I love this book. I think they did a fun, fantastic job with it. Um, but it's updated based on current research as well as current industry standards. And so, um, you know, I think the cardio part, you know, that's that's a game changer. It's totally different and it's very um, different than anything we've ever produced before because it is what people are using and it's it's very accurate. Um, the design templates, I think, are great because, again, we're just making it very clear. And, you know, I mean, we still have just remember, guys, the model itself has not changed. Still the same concepts, everything that Marty and I have talked about since last March 
about the phases of training, the adaptations they're going to get. The only difference is we changed the name of phase three to be truly what it is, which is muscular development. And then we added a four count to those acute variables because we had to. And um, so we do what we're told. And if we do what we do, we're told to stay accredited, which is super important for all of us that are NASM CPT certified. Yeah. And I think the another value is this just gives you kind of a, a recheck on your skill set. There's going to be you know, there's things that Wendy and I are going to pick up and we've been teaching this for God knows how many years. So, you know, even though you're certified and been certified and you've done things to get your CEUs done, I still love to dive back into the course. And there's going to be some little things that kind of maybe you, you breeze past last time or they jump out to you more this time because of your years of training you're gonna be like, man, I use that more than I thought, or I could be using this. Then you add in some of the new layers to it. So I think it's a great kind of restart and a refresh for everybody because there's enough new stuff in there, but it never hurts to go back and review some of those basics that you think you feel comfortable with. Yes. And it also lets you know too where your niche is. I mean, if there's something yeah. that sticks out that you really love, then maybe it's, you know, you know, either courses that we offer because we do try to, you know, take it like, for example, with the nutrition question, you know, we try to take it a step further. I mean, it's different. We are different than precision nutrition. However, I really like our CNC. I think they did a great job. I like the people that did it. I love the way that we have organized it. I like the videos because I'm a visual learner. And so, um, you know, one, one cool thing too about the CPT seven is we have a different, a, a new, um, library, a video library. And, um, and what that does is unfortunately you're stuck listening to me and some of these other master instructors, but we are actually coaching a client through an actual exercise. So for example, if we were doing a chest press on the ball, you're going to see me talk to my client of how I get them in the right um, positioning. I go through the five kinetic chain checkpoints to make sure that they're in the right position before they start. We go through a full available range of motion without compensation. We go through the tempo, depending on the phase. And then at that point we complete it. So on the video, we're actually teaching you what to look for, teaching you proper execution, and then teaching you some cueing that we thought may be super beneficial for those of you guys that are new. No, I, th I think overall it's completely, um, you know, well done, great new information. I think people will really enjoy the process of going through it, even if they've been certified already. Great. Well, it doesn't look like we have any questions. Nope. Um, so I will go ahead and give my content or contact. Jeez, um, content. I've been talking. I know, right? Y'all are probably tired of listening to me chat all day. But um, but if you guys have questions or you think about some questions later on, you can email Marty and I at any time. But if you want to email me directly, it's just wendy.bats at nasm.org. Or you can shoot me over a message on Instagram, which is wendy.bats13. And my email right there, marty.miller at nasm.org. And then Instagram is dr.martymiller72. So, Wendy, great job as always. Thanks for all that great information. Always a pleasure working with you. And we look forward to seeing everybody next Thursday on a whole brand new topic for next week.